Hello and welcome to episode 415 of On the Corner, the official PitcherList.com podcast. I'm your host, Eric Samolski, joined by the mad ranker, Nick Pollock. Nick, the, it, the, your, your baby's been out in the world for a week. How does it feel? Do you, do you have regrets? Do you have second guesses? What is happening? I might, I might with Aaron Nola a little. I moved him up at least to 18 since we spoke. Mm-hmm. Um, at least it's like, okay, cool. At least Cole Reagans is below him now. But otherwise, no, not really. I don't know. I mean, part of the fun of this is that it's the initial one. And then in February, it's different. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like yes. it's this is the initial pass after one week. And now I uh what I'm going to be doing in November, I thought it would be in October, but there's a lot more things going on. Um uh, I'm going to be going through every single rotation and really scrutinizing everyone again and then writing that proper top 200 or th- sorry, probably 300 is what normally is for the February one. I don't know. It's like double the size of this one if you can believe it. Yeah. And, so, and we've got a fun. name we're going to talk about today who already will be off the ranks in the future. Um, uh, it, it, is that right? Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, All right. Yeah, just, sorry which is it. just an example of how quickly things can change and just something for people to yes. keep in mind that obviously, you know, these evaluations are ever changing and ever evolving um, as, you know, Nick and I and everybody continues to kind of do work and, and watch film and yeah. et cetera. And uh, one thing I do want to say before uh, before we really jump in is I uh, we are doing some really really incredible things uh, at Pitcherless just as a whole. And it's kind of why I have been a little bit out of the the content sphere for the past couple of weeks, and it's been really nice actually in October to take care of a lot of these things uh, and wake up each day and go, "Cool, I can take care of these things. I don't have actual content to make. This is wild." Um, and we're going to be sending out some emails soon about uh, just kind of outlining what those things are. If you're inside the Discord, take a look in the staff or the Petros announcements as I kind of go over the state of things, um, which I don't really do too often. And one of those things is that we are absolutely in this uh, fundraising period. And one thing that we're actually looking at is uh, is just making kind of simple of, hey, community, if you want to get a lifetime PL Pro subscription, um, what do you think is a reasonable amount of money to ask for that um and honestly if we can just fund everything we want to do from the community saying yeah we're here we want a lifetime pl pro subscription that is the best of every world because then we don't get anyone else influencing what we do you guys have faith in what pitcherless is going to be creating from the heart of pitcherless and not someone else from the outside um and also you know that we are working as hard as we can to make pl pro the greatest product ever um i mean i've uh <laughs> I've created a product for January 2025 that I cannot be more excited about. And that's really what our funding is for. It's called the Pro Dashboard. What does that mean? You have no idea. It's great. Um, but uh, yeah, expect those emails soon. And uh, we're looking for your feedback on um, some surveys just so we can get an idea of, is that possible? Is that a feasible thing? Um, so uh, we'll have more on that soon. And uh, looking forward to it. Yeah. And I just encourage people um, as a, a new addition to the Pitcher List community. Well, you know, obviously not in terms of viewing on the site but um they're just way more tools than i think we all expect i know there's a lot of tools out there and so sometimes you're you just think there's so many choices but you know when nick and i have been going over these rankings i've been really using the kind of pitcher list player pages 
Um, and there's just so much really cool information. So, you know, we always say to, you know, be kind of like taking in information over the off season and trying to like really, you know, like a slow burn, look some guys up, do some research and in, in, you know, with, without a, a clock ticking in the back of your head and, you know, perusing the pitcher list uh, player pages is something that if you're just listening to the podcast and coming to the website for the list um, and not really kind of digging in deeper, um, just take the time to do that. And then do you want to give people a heads up on, uh, on the mock we just finished? Oh yeah, we just finished one. We gotta we gotta figure out when we are going to do our uh, review of it. But yeah, we finished the first 2024 12 team mock draft. I uh, it's kind of funny. I, I mean, we're, we're going to talk about this extensively. Like, we're, I'm going to have a podcast talking about Eric's picks, and he's going to have one talking about mine. And it's going to be like that. We're not going to give any opinion about our own picks. We're just going to have the other person judge each other. No, perfect. Um, but I. Uh, I, I mean, just as a quick preview of it, I I personally was trying so hard to find hitters that I cared about after like round 12. Did you feel the same way? It's not hitters that I cared about, but it's just one of those things where you're like, okay, are we going for fun or are we going, are we trying to like build a like, oh, I need a little speed and I need some runs. It It is a little bit of like a, a mashup of just sure this guy sounds good um and i think that (laughs) kind of digs into like what we've been talking about or hinting at before and what i know that like a lot of the podcasts about the mock will get to which is which is there might be a good strategy in in filling up on those early round hitters um because the mid-round pitching you know we alluded to it on our last podcast that you and i were waiting on pitching um and you know granted one of my picks was Brandon Woodruff before the injury, um, but I, <laughs> but I do think that that there's a lot of really intriguing pitching in the middle rounds, and that is kind of a fun place to to dive in. And I'll get those secure hitters early on. But I know you know we'll chat about all that on the on the podcast. I got my 76th ranked starter as my 22nd round pick, and I was I felt like he wasn't even going to get drafted. And I mean, I've, I I try to resist as much as I can when it comes to pitchers. I took four in the first 12 as I typically would. And I took, uh, I was trying to keep it at eight and I had to go to nine and I almost went to 10 because there are still so many good ones left. And I try, I forced myself to take chances on some hitters just to not be like, it's a muck. I'm not going to, you know, Yeah. I'm like, no, I took an interesting 23rd and 21st round hitter. I did it. I, yeah, we're going to go more into detail on that soon. Um, but it's always fun look. To, I think like also these rankings that I have, these top 200, they really do lean on what your draft looks like because based on what hitters you're getting and everything else, it does change how you do approach pitchers. If, if we if we say to you, look, the only good hitters are in the first six rounds, then that puts more emphasis on getting more solidified starters in that 20 to 40. Thus, let, you're going to have fewer risks there, right? Mm-hmm. If we're saying that um, there are all these good hitters later, and that means again that it's uh, that you might want to take some more risks for upside otherwise. So it's it does change a little, um, but man, yeah, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be jumping in like the 50s and 70s, I think, in a lot of drafts for starting pitchers because there are just so many good ones. Yeah, and you'll and everybody you'll hear, you know, we're getting to obviously starting pitchers 21 through 30 on this episode, and you'll see some names on here where you're thinking that guy's in the, in the top 25 or that guy's in the top right. 30, and I think that goes to show a little bit of what we've been talking about with this as of right now, again in October. 
the fluidity of the starting pitcher rankings with so many, you know, top tier names um, dealing with injuries or innings concerns or things like that, where, you know, it might just be safer to say, okay, this is a pitcher who I would usually assume to be in like the 40s or something who's now, you know, ranked 25th by consensus or however you want to look at it. Do I really want to go up and get that guy or is there really not that much of a difference? I mean, the tier that we're going to talk about today, just so people know, um, we're going to get into two tiers. Nick has a tier that begins with starting pitcher 24 and doesn't end until starting pitcher 39. Um, right. That's a pretty large tier when you're talking about top, some guys are in the top 25 starting pitchers. So keep that in mind as, as we go through it um, again. So it, it's so hard to pick, man. It is. It's, it, it, this is, I think, the most contentious tier because it's your it's the get your guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, before we even I mean, yeah, I'll explain the tier philosophy in a moment. So take it away, Eric. Yeah. So so just as everybody under, rem, rem, remembers, those are words that are coming out of my mouth. <laughs> just so everybody remembers. Um, we started uh, last episode. We did tier uh, starting pitchers 11 through 20. Well, it's a continue, we're going to begin with a continuation of that tier. So that this tier began starting pitcher 14, which was Grayson Rodriguez, included Tarek Skubal, Bobby Miller, Yuri Perez, Aaron Noah, Joe Ryan, and Cole Raggins. And that was the, um, the pitchers we mentioned on the last podcast. And this tier will yes. begin with starting pitcher 21. Um, and since we have two tiers today, uh, you're only going to name two things. Right. Uh, it was 48 degrees this morning in New York. Oh my gosh! Was it really? That's why I'm uh, wearing a sweatshirt as I do this. I do you have a radiator in your apartment? Oh yeah. Is that how it works for and you? And that's that's right. That's so do you have impetus, the battle that I do? That's the impetus for this because uh, our radiator kicks on automatically when it drops. Below oh, you 50. have one of those. Um, welcome to oh New York gosh. City apartment living. Uh, older apartments. Oh, no. So. Uh, this to me was like the beginning of kind of cold weather season, even though, you know, yeah. 48 isn't that cold. Um, so cold. you're going to just two tiers. I want to know two cold weather foods or drinks that you turn to. Mm. So some people have, you know, their pumpkin okay. spice, whatever. Um, I just want to know when it's I'm a I'm a good Polak at heart. Like there's a Polish restaurant in our neighborhood. And when it gets cold, I'm just like. Give me stuffed cabbage, borscht. Like those are the foods I mm. want, but I can't eat that when it's ninety degrees outside. And, so I kind of want to know good for you at heart. where your brain goes. You're a good, you are a good Pollock at heart on the outside <laughs> everywhere. Um, I want to know where your brain goes when it gets cold. What your what your cravings sure. are. So all right, so, so the stability one that is tier three. Um, it's one hundred percent. I'm making grilled cheese with hot tomato soup. Mm. And you dip that in and it's that is like my ultimate comfort one. It can be a lot. It's a very heavy meal. Um, but uh, it, and especially if you have like bacon inside the grilled cheese, which is really easy to do. That's what I was going to say. Do you fancy that grilled is, cheese it? I mean, yeah, a little bit. Okay. You know, you got to you sure you can do like the traditional bread or you can get a little bit of sourdough in there. Mm-hmm. But I, I'll be honest with you. I think the sourdough is harder to eat. It is. Yeah. And if you just do it with like your traditional sliced loaf bread, you know, I have my Dave's Killer. Um, 21 white grain. Bread done Dave's right. Killer 21 grain. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So good. Um, Butter the outside, uh, put it in the pan. I'm not a mayo guy. I mean, I am, but I'm not a mayo on the grilled cheese guy. I'm a, I'm a butter guy with that's, that. That's fair. 
Um, maybe sometimes even olive oil is fine. Um, and then, uh, and then, yeah, you get that wonderful Campbell's tomato soup and that's just, oh, I, I like a little it. pesto in my grilled cheese sometimes. Just gotta say, is that right? Oh, that's yeah. good. A little a good aioli. Yeah. You got to try it a little bit. It's, it's tasty. Damn. Um, so uh, who continues starting picture 21, who continues this yeah. grilled cheese and tomato soup tier? So first and foremost, I need to say it's Cole Reagan's. Okay. Not Reagan's. Reagan's. We're going to get through this. Yep. Um, I wanted it to be Reagan's because oh my gosh, House of the Reagan's and all the uh, sorry, uh, so Hearts of the I wanted to be Reagan's, so heart, uh, House of the Reagan's and all those Reagan's reminds me do. of Reagan's, and I just think of Friday Night Lights, but yes, Reagan's. Um, and uh, and yeah, it's it's he's my he's my boy. Um, but Zach Eflin is twenty one, and I think Zach Eflin's going to be a very difficult guy to rank this off season because yes. he just had a season that looks very real um zach eflin 16 and 8 first of all i i I actually find myself going away from the win potential stuff Mm -hmm. often but i think it's important to note it's the raise and he they let him start a fair amount of innings because they needed somebody to pitch uh, a lot of games here um his innings per start were close to six it was 83 pitches per so you, you can even argue that there's even a higher ceiling to go for here um, from Zach Eflin, but adding the cutter this year, and it was such a good cutter. He added it in 2022, pushed it up to 26% from 13% uh, last season, and it was a new pitch. I remember um, seeing it early this year and going, wait a second, Eflin with this cutter is by far the best version of himself I've ever seen, and he kind of stuck around with that, a 23% called strike rate on that cutter, which was a 93rd percentile rate which is amazing, 71% strikes on that. Um, PLV adored it at a 5-4-2, um, which is so good. Uh, I still worry a little bit about the sinker. It's a call strike focus pitch, gets a lot of strikes. Um, I don't think that it is the best uh, mitigator of hard contact. A 37% ICR is fine. It's just not really like an elite fastball to me. Um, and as long as he has his curveball, and I actually found myself comparing Eflin to Charlie Morin a ton because they are fastballs for called strikes, curveball being everything, which you know, there, lot, there was a lot of thought about Eflin jumping to the raise and improving on that curveball going from 11% to 20% in 2021 to 2022, and then jumping again this year to 27%. It was a fantastic pitch. Increased the strike rate to 67%, which is great. Uh, 94th percentile in swing strike rate at 19%. Um, O swing at 45%, which is great because he's a command guy, Zach Eflin. And so looking at the offseason last year, I had him too low, Zach Eflin. I I realized I was quickly wrong. There was an understanding of him going to the raise, and I was pushing back a little bit on it. I didn't expect him to have this good of a cutter. I didn't know that the curveball would be increased, and that would be a good thing because Eflin has expressed in the past that he doesn't always have a feel for it. He found it. And I think the lesson learned for me is if teams are going to the Astros, the Dodgers, or the Rays, and they have a good enough skill set already that is uh, acceptable for fantasy, I'm going to then raise them up. I say that like that because of like Noah Syndergaard. Did not have a good enough skill set, so I'm not going to raise him up, right? Um, But like Heaney, for example, he had a good enough one to be fantasy relevant before going to the Dodgers, and it was questionable, but he still had a good K-minus walk rate, all that kind of stuff. Um, and he was better in that short stint. All that to say that Eflin feels like it was real, right? With the Rays. This is cool. 102 whip, 350 ERA, 26% K rate. 
I'm lower on him for a few reasons. One, um, I don't believe that Eflin is super consistent. Um, I know it seems like that, but I remember seeing, oh man, the cutter is at its peak and then it would go away. The curveball would be there and it would be gone. And the sinker is fine, but it's hittable. It is one of those sinkers that is not going to take over a game. It's a setup pitch. And it's not one of those that you think of, oh, guys, three pitches. So one of the three needs to really dominate in a game. The sinker really isn't that. And that's kind of how it used to be um, on other teams. Uh, the second pushback I have is Zach Eflin has not thrown a ton of innings in his career. This is We've kind of always thought of him as an injured guy. Um, 177 is the most he's had. Um, it was 163 in 2019 as well. But even in 2020, he had some injury things that made us push back against him. And it's just always been this history of Zach Eflin not being the healthiest at 29 now. Mm-hmm. It's not like, I always feel like Zach Eflin's like 35. He's not, he's 29. He already has this rigorous injury history. I think this just kind of get work gets worse. And the last element I'm going to say is it's a peak season. Um, sure. it's, it's, it's a very clear peak season. I, I know that he had skills that improved and generally I like saying, no, this is a new guy. It still feels as if, it's a peak, especially that 102 whip that I think is really pushing up his his uh, perceived value. Um, it's a 97th percentile walk rate. He's always had great walk rates. Absolutely. The fact that the hit per nine was at eight, the lowest he's had in a while, I think might not stick around. Um, I don't want to buy into a peak season uh, from Eflin, especially with the health track record and also the, the arsenal that just doesn't quite showcase clear dominance that's why i keep saying it's charlie morden a bit mm-hmm. um and just with a better walk rate so i think it's funny. not not the massive fan not like the sp1 potential like the other guys but i think he's really solid and better than the guys in tier four but i think it's so funny you're saying you're coming in low on him because my assumption would be as we start to get rankings that this is gonna be where he falls um then the good that's I, not, I, I think it's the right one so yeah <laughs> i think a lot of people are i think a lot of people understand it's a peak season um, and so I don't think you're going to see him push up in front of that like Yuri Perez, uh, Scooble tier well, of like, is, I because think, I don't think uh, there people was a really... actually think, oh, he's an ace, right? They're going to want to sure. draft the guys they think are, are aces. Um, and so I, I really do think there are those, you know, those hesitations with with Eflin that are going to keep him in this range. I will say I have him 22nd and I did the same thing you did where I was I was up back moving him around i know it's a peak season do i really want to put him close to 20 because i don't think we're going to get this again but then i was looking at the guys i was ranking behind him are they really better you mentioned the innings concerns but you also tweeted out a lot of great information about there not being stability at the top so even if i get Mm. 150 innings 140 innings of f1 and they're really good innings don't i want to take that um, and then two things jumped out at me, which I'll add to all the great things that you mentioned that he changed in the second half of the year. Um, he dropped the sinker uh, 8% and raised his four-seam fastball 7% because he started throwing the four-seam fastball 21% mm. of the time in two-strike counts up in the zone, and it had a 21.3% swinging strike rate in the second half of the year. It's a great call. And so now I'm like, okay, if we're going to use that four seam up in the zone and it's going to miss bats along with the curveball, now I'm not just like, hey, I'm in a two-strike count. Everybody knows if I'm going for a strikeout, I'm throwing this curveball because it's the only pitch I have that will miss bats. We now have that four seam up in the zone. Oh. And then he also changed his slider 
in July, and he went to the good old-fashioned sweeper. And while he only threw it 7% of the time in the second half of the year, it had a 27.5% swinging strike rate in the second half of the Mm. year. And while it may not be like a huge pitch that he adds, his slider beforehand did nothing. So even if the sweeper is just a, a solid fourth pitch for him that he can mix in, I think that raises the floor for him a little bit. So I was intrigued by that change. You know, what's so interesting is uh, that's really great stuff on the four seamer and slider. Um, the uh, the slider was utilized in two strike counts over 50% of the time as a 96th percentile and at a 34% put away rate, 99th percentile. Four seamer, 100th percentile and two strike rate at 74%. I mean, truly, this is a pitch he only throws in two strike counts. And a 24% put away rate is 92nd percentile. So that's really cool to see that you uh, they have a guy like Eflin who um, sinkers are getting called strikes, uh, cutters are getting called strikes, right? 23% plus in both of them. Curveball is this all, you know, jack of all trades pitch. And then it does look like the four seamer and slider are turning into those actual put away offerings. Um, 19.5% swing strike rate. So one fifth of the time when he threw this four seamer in a two strike count, it did render a swing mm-hmm. strike, which isn't pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, and this is this is the perfect example of using pitches in certain situations have different values like O swing at 42 percent is 99th percentile. Right. Uh, that's, you know, the called strike rate is only 9.4, zero percentile. You don't see that on a four seamer. It's like George Kirby's almost, um, which is so funny. And so it's it's a good, really good point you're making here. And when when I talked to Eno Saris at the end of the year, he pointed out when I, we were talking about his, his stuff plus models. And he basically said there gets to a point where it's kind of like when a pitcher is consistently using about five or more pitches where you can mitigate lower stuff plus, right? Like lower raw mm. stuff. Yeah. When you get a little bit of that kitchen sink, like the, you know, the Chris Bassett um, gonna say side Chris of it. Bassett, and he was also using JP France as an example of it. Of yeah. like Why was France JP is a, France is like a discount more, Bassett, more right? successful? And I think you're, you're potentially starting to see that with, Eflin, where the first half of the year, he basically threw three pitches, the sinker, the curve and the cutter. In the second half of the year, he's throwing five pitches at least six percent of the time. Now, that's not an extraordinary amount, but it gives us the foundation to say, does Zach is Zach Eflin now able to mix and match five pitches in in different counts in different situations? And I think that gives him a little bit more of a solid floor where, again, I ranked him 22nd. So I'm not saying, oh, he's going to take another step and be a fantasy ace. But I'm saying I think he gives you that grilled cheese stability where you're like, I know what I'm getting. Maybe I didn't judge this one up, but it's comforting and it's going to make me feel good. Yeah, uh, man. So that even that strikeout stuff makes me a little bit more inclined to go after Eflin. Also, I do want to mention I was saying I was a little low because I did see a great tweet from Rob Silver. Um, I mean, Joe Rico, I've talked about um, Eflin a good amount. I know that he's in on this and I'm excited to talk to him personally in First Pitch Arizona, which, by the way, we're, I'm going to be there. Eric won't because he's stupid and has a wedding or something. Yeah, that's a, just Whatever. another Packer kid getting married over First but, Pitch Yeah. Arizona. Oh, my gosh, you idiot. Pelicans. Just go go get some fish in the water. Okay, go on the East River. Actually, um, this is a, but, uh, a friend who runs a youth baseball organization, and he he somehow talked himself into getting married the one weekend he doesn't have a tournament to coach. And I was like, "Wow, is works. that is that in New York? Yeah, it's in the city. It's in Brooklyn. What organization is it? Anywhere? Um, he is the Freedom. 
He coaches. He runs the Freedom. They've won five 12 and under baseball tournaments in a row. That's amazing. I mean, I coached Bulldogs. You guys didn't know that. I I I coached travel Bulldogs back in the day. I coached the Freedom Uh, with him until I had a son, and now my weekends are not my own. So... There you go. <laughs> um, but anyway, Joe and uh, and Rob Silver were talking about Bob Bobby Miller versus Eflin. And um, I accidentally said I selected Zach Eflin accidentally. I think it was Zach Gallon because, of course, that's why I quickly do. I just quickly look at it. Sure. Bam, there it is. I'm done. I don't think about things. Uh, I've regretted it. But I think the consensus was that Eflin was above Bobby Miller. And that's that's kind of where I thought I was a little bit lower because I'm going after as you mentioned, the younger ones, Grayson and Tarek and Bobby and Yuri, uh, Reagan's uh, Joe Ryan. These are all a little more risky than you can say of what Zach Eflin does. So, and the, the, the mitigation of that risk or the, um, the counter to that is the risk of innings for Eflin and the, uh, the lack of overwhelming SP one potential. Mm. Um, so which do you want to go for? It's kind of up to you. Uh, I don't blame anyone who wants to put Eflin above those. Um, but to me, it, that's why they're all in the same tier three here. And th- that strikeout sweeper stuff is very interesting. Uh, that might suggest that 30% striker rate could happen for Eflin next year. So does give him a little bit more stability. I don't know. I might raise him up just because of that. Raise him up. Um, I had Eflin 22nd. I had this next pitch you're going to mention 23rd. And then I know our rankings are going to get very different. Um, oh, but this is a pitcher I loved coming into this year. Obviously, this year didn't go well for him due to injury. Uh, but tell us who your 22nd ranked starting pitcher is. It is someone who I think I get a feeling he's going to jump higher than this the closer we get to the season mm-hmm. starting. Um, Joe Musgrove. I mean, Joe Musgrove is just really good, guys. I, uh, you know, I obviously we had some injury concerns and we had these, um, you know, it, it was, we had the shoulder, we had the elbow stuff, all of that. But he still just, you know, he found his slider as the season went on. Um, curveball still excellent, cutter still excellent. He's got a kitchen sink. He's always just been this like 25%. Um, roughly, uh, strikeout potential with maybe, uh, sorry, 25% strikeout rate with potential for more. Um, and like a six inning sturdy guy for a guy in front of a great defense in San Diego should be a winning ball club. And hopefully if he's, you know, he gets his health in order a little bit this offseason, should just be a stable arm that is a tier above the other inning eater stable arms of tier four. So that's why he's here. I think the biggest pushback again is we really haven't seen him suppress the hit per nine as I don't think he has the best fastball attack um, with his four-seamer and sinker. It kind of bothers me a little bit uh, where he doesn't have this overwhelming fastball that really does all the things we want it to. Uh, so uh, I, I, if you guys have known in these ranks, I'm going after four-seamers and those being the foundation of everything. I've kind of learned that this is the thing to go for. Um, and that's why Musgrove is underneath them. Also, of course, with that health track record it doesn't quite seem the most safe but as far as skills go i'd be shocked if you had joe musgrove next year and he did not produce quality for the innings that he did give you yeah i'm looking right now uh so there were eight re- nine relievers in here so joe musgrove prior to fracturing his foot in a weight room accident on february uh 28th was being drafted uh SP24 
He was the 24th starting pitcher off the board coming into this year prior to the injuries. So I think you're probably going to see him um, in that range, as you mentioned, just because we have the track record of success with him. Um, You know, Mm -hmm. we've seen, uh, you know, uh, since 2020 sub four ERAs. It was a 318 in 2021, 293 last year. Uh, sorry, in 2022, last year was a 305 ERA in his 17 starts. So we've seen the the performance from him. Um, he's a guy who I've always liked because of the you know the arsenal of pitches more than as you pointed out having one dominant pitch. Um, and so you know I again I I do kind of really agree with your stability tier. Where I just think there's nothing eye popping about Musgrove. I think there was a time where maybe we were like, "Oh, he's going to take a huge second next step and he could be an ace." I don't think that that's the case, but I think you're going to get mm-hmm. solid ratios. Um, you know, his like the the bad pitch quality, the you know quality pitch versus bad pitch rankings that you guys have on on pitcher list are are all pretty solid for him. The ratios will be good. 11.3% swing strike rate is, you know, fairly average, slightly above average. Like there's just nothing wrong with him. Um, right. And I think that, you know, there's, again, you mentioned this before, all this stuff in this, these mid tiers is going to be about how you choose to roster build. But I think that sometimes like, yeah, there's nothing, there's no warts. That's, that's okay with me. It's not going to be thrilling, but I'm, I'm probably not going to regret it. Unless he drops right. another weight on his foot, and then maybe I will. That's yeah. Please don't do that. Please don't do that, Musgrove. Um, there's potentially more upside with your 23rd ranked starting pitcher. He's definitely a little bit more of a, like a, a an intriguing name in drafts. Um, so who is it? Well, he's someone that I've uh, been a fan of all year, especially with me and Alex Fast. But uh, we're going to talk about him after this break. So, Eric, it's Jesus Lazardo. And if you don't know, it's actually really funny to me. Alex Fass and I have a bout about uh, Jesus Lazardo, where we went on uh, um, Joe Pisapia's Fantasy Pros podcast for us to do our, um, what is it, like our cage match. It's the only time like Alex and I would go head to head. And um, the biggest gap I think we had this year was I had Jesus Lazardo, I think, in the 30s or so entering the season, while uh, Fast I'm at like 61. And I just thought that was ridiculous. I was like, this is this is crazy. And I think Joe actually gave it to Alex because how Alex debated was very bad faith while I actually gave hard numbers and facts. And that was too aggressive, apparently. I wanted it too much. Did you yell like I don't that? Know. That could have been the reason. I, I kind of did. Maybe that was the fault. Um, but regardless, uh, Jesus Lazardo was looking great. Then he was not good. And then he was great again. And then he was really bad. And then he was better by the end. And what's really funny is that he struggled in the beginning and Fast and I on, I think it was May 5th, had a podcast and we placed a bet saying that, look, um, Hazel Lazardo from this point moving forward is going to have better than the 370 ERA and a 117 whip. And he said, yeah, sure, I'll take the over on both. And I was like, great, I'll take the under. At the end of the year, I think it was, um, by when all of a sudden done from there, I think it was a 3.65 or 6.9 with a 1.169 whip. <laughs> it was something ridiculous like that. And I, 
And it really does show a case, I think, everything about Lizardo, where it's a four-seamer that he commands well most of the time, but it's actually not profiled out as that 17% swing strike rate pitch that just, I'm going to beat you with my four-seamer. Mm-hmm. It comes in hard. He was throwing harder at the beginning of the year, and it's kind of maintained around 96 or so. Um, he, he does what I call the seven, which is what you want to see from a lefty. That is, if you're looking at the catcher for the strike zone, they are outlining the their four-seamers like a seven of the... Um, the strike zone. So it's the top of it and then the right side inside two right-handers. That's what you want to be doing. Justin Steele, when he's a success, he does that. Jesus Lazardo does that well. Meanwhile, the changeup gets a ton of whiffs. And the big question to me is the slider. Mm-hmm. The slider is very susceptible. And what happens is that Luzardo makes a lot of mistakes on this pitch in the zone. Um, there have been too many games where I just see it, everything just gets messed up. I mean, a lot of three home runs to the Astros, I remember, and there were just these bad pitches down. I was actually one of each pitch over like right down the middle. But his slider has a tendency to be just a, all right, cool, here's my free real estate called strike slider. But then also in like two strike counts, there it is right down the middle and they hit it. And it's those kinds of tweaks that can really make Luzardo sore. We know those games of, you know, one or run in six innings and three base runners, no walks, nine strikeouts or so. He can do that. And I also think he can do it without the massive floor that we're used to of the likes of, say, Andrew Heaney, that we know have that those big swings of being a cherry bomb. I think Luzardo's command skill set is better than those guys. So to me, Luzardo is really close to being a bonafide ace. It's just how much are we going to bank on his slider being better commanded and not making so many mistake pitches with it? Also, how much can we bank on his health? Uh, that was a big thing coming into the season as Lozardo isn't a guy that's really gotten long. He did this year. He really did. And it's I to me, I see it as a young guy getting his innings and finally getting there. But I just gave a pushback on Eflin on health. So how can I really choose that with Lozardo too? So though all those things combined, not the four-seamer being the overwhelming pitch, makes it so that Lozardo is at the bottom of this tier. However, he still has SP1 potential with the rest of them. So he's at the bottom of it. Yeah, I have him starting pitcher 27. Um, I would even argue that in a totally irrelevant argument that he should be the top of your next tier because I don't think he adds the security that you were talking about with some of the other guys. Um, mm. I totally agree with you on, I think I think we've seen flashes from him. I just don't trust that he'll be, a, that he can iron those out and be that consistent ace um he changed the slider this year a little bit um it was a mile and a half faster than it was harder than it was in in 2022 um and it had more drop and i don't think that worked for him i mean that's the thing the slider was it was more drop right yeah but it was more drop even though harder velocity yeah um, so and he, uh, he, that was a Lizardo, I think, just increasing across the board, right? I believe his four seamer. His four seamer actually his well. his four seamer averaged ninety six point three in twenty twenty two, and it mm-hmm. averaged ninety six point seven in twenty twenty three. So right. slight bump, nothing, nothing like that really kind of jumps out. Yeah. But yeah, the slider and the changeup both with marketable differences. Um, the slider to me reeks of going for swinging strike rate. Right, like going for swings and misses, mm-hmm. um, and that's why he saw a huge jump in in swing and strike rate on the slider. But he also gave up more barrels and struggled with consistency. Um, so I don't necessarily believe that the change to the slider was beneficial for him. 
And so, yeah, I mean, the, the four seam is fine and the changeup is good and the slider is hit or miss, which, you know, makes him a, a, a starting pitcher who will have really high highs, but I think is will continue to kind of frustrate with some inconsistency. And that's why I have some guys who I think are just a little more, a little safer yeah. to me ahead of him. So what's so interesting with Zardo is uh, here are some very quick things on that slider. It's bottom 10th percentile on both ICR rate and swing rate. He also has exceptionally high CSW marks, right? Because he gets a lot of called strikes on this and then also swinging strikes. It has a near 500 BABIP. 500 on a slider. Okay. So that, I mean, that's going to get better. Obviously, I am saying, hey, Nick, you're you're telling me, though, that they're swinging a lot and they're making better ideal contact on it, which suggests, yeah, it should have a high bat up. Absolutely. Is it 50% of the time getting it? I don't know. I mean, the ICR is really high, <laughs> so it should be higher than like 300, 350 or so. Um, I can't imagine that that sticks around for Luzardo. So that that to me is I is like, look, look at this past season. Four seamers should be kind of the same. Changes should be kind of the same. I think if Luzardo leans a little bit more into, hey, I don't need to just get this over the zone. I need to actually really focus this not being in the zone as much and not lean in on the called strikes. Just go in only on the swinging strikes. That might help. I also would suggest that Luzardo adds one more offering that becomes that in the zone strike pitch because Luzardo's slider can't be that. Mm -hmm. It just can't. And the changeup, I don't really think is either. Thus, you need something else to be like, okay, I need a strike right now. Um, maybe it is a slider just used differently in different times, but it does feel like Luzardo needs like a curveball or it needs a, a cutter or something that is like, okay, this isn't my four seamer. So we'll see what happens there. Yeah. But uh, yeah, the skills, it's just so close. I mean, you really see two exceptionally good swing strike rate secondaries plus a four seamer that actually is well spotted as opposed to being just a bad offering, like a Gar- yeah. even Guardians pitcher. Like this is a better fastball than your typical Guardians starter. Sure. So, 4.9. 4. That, that's kind of where I'm at there. But yeah, you're, you're not wrong about like the sliders change not necessarily benefiting this year. 4.97 average PLV. Um, right. 37. Point, all those mistakes, man. 37.3% bad pitch rate. Um, you know, like uh, three six nine Sierra is not bad. One two two WHIP on the year. I mean, there there's you know there are some concerns for me. But again, I have him in my top thirty, so I don't think it's it's crazy to rank him high. I just think that there's some stability uh, concerns, and I it's interesting. I'm also a little down on the guy you have after him at SP twenty four. Oh yeah, I don't. Yeah, this is a tough one. This is okay. So, so we're entering the fourth tier. Oh, and so what is, yeah, uh, sorry, we're entering the fourth tier. Right. So, what what comfort food or beverage in the cold weather is this? I mean, there's the standard one. This is tough because I would normally say, oh yeah, it's got to be hot chocolate. Um, however, I've been on a, I've been trying as much as I can to limit how much chocolate I have and sugar in general. Um, and I realize that like one of the things is like, oh no, it's the winter. <laughs> how am I going to get through that? Uh, cause I, I think tea is just worse water. Mm-hmm. And when I heard Ted Lasso say that, I was like, thank you. It's about dang time. Um, but I, so I got to figure that one out. Uh, I guess, I mean, I guess that just would be coffee. I, I'm, I'm sorry. It sounds so lame like that. Um, 
But uh, you a, so I guess that's this ice one. coffee just in the fine. summer, hot coffee in the Always. winter person. As much as I, I'll, I'll push iced coffee as long as I can. Yeah, I get that. Uh, I mean, for for home, I make my I make just hot coffee in the morning. I need that. Mm-hmm. But then anytime I'm out getting coffee, it's always cold brew. Give me that one. Um, which I know there's a difference between like the cold brew and the ice. Co- I know. Guys, that's a, ti- that's a coffee podcast it's, for another time. Yeah, yeah. It's okay. They're both good. Okay. Just give me some oat milk in there. All right. Sugar free, please. Thank you so much. Um, changes everything, guys. If you just take out sugar as little as you can. Sugar is the bad one, not fat. It's sugar. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> so the fourth tier here. These are the ones who I think are, I, 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 I go through a lot in this one of, again, take your guys. And at the beginning, I say, look, I recognize that there are some that I'm preaching stability, saying, look, you're not going to drop these guys, not take as big risks. I had those in tier three because I really don't feel like you're going to drop them. Even Lazardo, I feel is still going to be too good when it comes to strikeouts is should have a decent amount of wins that will push them a good amount and um just yeah i think the whip and the era are going to improve uh, on both accounts there because he had just these really bad stretches that just ruined everything when he was absurdly good otherwise so but then you look at this one and the first three are actually the three guys i grouped together last year believe it or not that's Framber valdez logan webb and logan gilbert as they all felt similar into what their skill sets are, which is, hey, I can go six innings plus constantly. Hey, I can win games for my team. I might not have the best whip ever. I might not have the best ERA ever. I might never be a 30% strikeout guy. I could flirt with 25% or higher. But at the end of the day, I might be what I call a Holly, which is a better version of a Toby, where it's good enough ratios. And if it's a if it's flirting with a 25% K rate as opposed to a 20%, then you're a Holly as opposed to a Toby. So with Framber, I my, my my whole joke with him is that he always screams in 117 whip, right? It's six innings and seven base runners. He just does that unbelievably consistently and it drives me nuts. He also had a 25% K rate this year across 198 innings. So guess what? Framber Valdez, even though we don't really think of him as a strikeout guy, had 200 strikeouts this year. He has a good defense behind him, which speaks to his ground ball rate, which is something we've talked about, say, like Stroman, for example, in the past of, uh, or you could say Merrill Kelly and Zach Gallen having that good defense that leans into what they do will help as well. Only 12 wins, which is kind of shocking, honestly, uh, for Framber. However, I still hate his sinker and I hate how he uses it and it drives me up the wall. What more so is in the second half, you want to talk about pitch mix, say Eric's your pitch mix guy. What happened with the cutter and curveball? And when I when I went off to to San Francisco, one of my favorite parts of uh, seeing Enosaurus is that we don't really talk about specific pitchers often. Like just actually be like, hey, cool, me and you, how do you feel about this one guy? And when we both have exactly the same take, it's a hilarious thing. And I said we brought a fan, someone brought Framber Valdez, and we both said, like, why did he stop throwing the cutter? It's so good. It's so good. Oh, I love this cutter so much. It is 97th percentile in swing strike rate. A 22% swing strike rate on it. And it, it brought it down to 13%. And this used to be the thing that he did. Mm-hmm. And now he just saved it for left-handers. And it's stopped doing that. Not a- Framber Valdez's sinker should not be thrown against right-handers. Yeah. It should it should just not. It He doesn't... I think sinkers in general should just not be thrown 
against opposite handed batters unless you're trying to do the front hit move, which is fine. Aaron Nola can do that well. Okay. Can Framber Valdez? No, he can't. Uh, and guess what? Batters at a 43% ICR as right handers against said sinker. Their X average was 304. It is not a good offering and it drives me insane. And sometimes a curve showed up and sometimes it just didn't. That's his best pitch, you could argue. Just didn't. Change up was there more than it should. It, the whole thing was just weird, man. Yep. This is Framber Valdez. And at the same time, three of his last four seasons have been a 116 whip or better. Every year has had a 3 6 ERA or better in the last four. His strikeout rates have been around 23% or so. Uh, he's thrown a ton of innings um, in this time. He threw the max amount of, well, he threw 70 innings in 2020, 134 in 2021, then 200 and 200 essentially. So you got to give him props for consistency and being productive for fantasy. Framber Valdez is someone in 15 teamers I'm higher on than in 12 because his impact in ERA and whip is more productive for you. And that's what you're getting him for. In 12s, he's down here, and until he figures out something better than that sinker, uh, 47% uses just this season, I want to see it like 35%. I, I just don't think it's as good as we want it to be. It just makes me feel like Framber Valdez isn't a top 10, top 15 pitcher. Yeah, and not only did he throw the cutter less in the second half of the year, but he threw it harder and straighter. Um, the average the average velocity on the pitch went from 84.5 miles per hour to 87.1. Um, he took away both vertical and horizontal movement. It got barreled more. It missed fewer bats. Um, maybe that's a struggling for the feel of the pitch since it was you know a newer pitch for him. We don't really know. Um, but there were some changes. He used it less. It got hit harder. Um, everything just got worse for the cutter which is a little bit concerning. But listen, the curve and the change were really nice. I have him ranked 34th because I think there's that consistency that you're talking about. And I might wind up being too low on him. But I think that what we saw last year in 2022 um, with that like really low, uh, the really low ratios um, and, you know, he, again, accumulated good strikeouts even in 2022, we had 194. So that's six fewer strikeouts than this year, but you got much better ratios. Um, I think that what we saw last year may be more of who he is, which is a low to mid three ZRA guy, like 3.2 to 3.4 ish. Um, fine, but not great uh, swinging strike rates. So you'll need the innings in order to kind of accumulate those strikeouts. Um, and I don't, I think that that's, you know, I'm not mad if he's my SP2, um, but I guess I I just, I have some guys ranked ahead of him that I think have more upside. And the guy that you have ranked right after him, I'd rather take 10 times out of 10 because I just trust the floor with your starting pitcher 25 way more than I trust the floor on so, that for Framber Valdez. Yeah, I go back and forth here. Um so Logan Webb is the guy here, right? At 25. Uh, very strange to me. I hope to, to talk to Logan Webb. One of the funniest things, by the way, if you guys didn't see this, uh, I made a comment about someone talking about like uh, what I like in prospects. And 
I say, look, Gavin Stone, I didn't like. Why? Because he's change of focused. And in the big leagues, there's really no one in the majors that I trust as a change up first and fastball second as a consistent starter. And I'd say, say for Logan Webb. And unfortunately, I see 2023 as a peak season. And I put out this random tweet and only one person liked it. It was Logan Webb. I can't believe it. It makes me so happy. So I reached out to him and said, hey, come on. I would love to love to bring you on for something. Hopefully I can make that happen. But I uh, and hopefully he took that as a compliment as opposed to me saying that the 2023 was a peak. Right. Um, but I uh, but yeah, it, it is amazing what he does because he goes 42 percent change up uh, and it's one of the best change ups in the majors. It's so rare to see it. Uh, obviously, 100th percentile in pitches thrown as a change up. Um, There's 1,300 changeups thrown this year, which is crazy. Uh, one of the best PLVs on it. 50% O swing on his changeup this season. Absolutely bonkers. I remember freaking out when it was 54% for uh, Hyunjin Ryu's. That said, it was 46% in 2022, 42% in 2021. That isn't so ridiculously far off, but 14% swing strike rate, though, despite that massive O swing, which means he's gaining those grounders in play. Which then means, of course, the ideal contact rate, the ICR, 31%. And that's really good. That's where he gets all of his outs. And that is the life of Logan Webb. However, however, Eric, what is the worst thing uh, between like line drives, fly balls, and ground balls? Um, So I'll just put it this way. Ground balls and fly balls. Which are more susceptible to allowing hits? Ground balls. Right. And because of this... It was still an 8.4 hit per nine. Logan Webb needed to have a 3.6% walk rate in order to have a 107 whip. I can't sit here and say, okay, he's going to be a sub 4% walk rate guy. I wish I could. I really, really wish I could. His changeup strike rate was 73% after being 67% last year. Um, the 32% called strike rate on his sinker is absolutely nuts. That That is crazy. The, the amount of command he had as a backdoor sinker, the feel of that is insane. And you can argue, well, people are expecting to dip because they see the change up more often. Maybe, and maybe that is just what life is now for Logan Webb. I can't quite get behind it. Also because it is a 41% ICR when people make contact on it. So there is this guessing game happening against Logan Webb where it's, okay, is it the changeup that's going to go underneath the bat or is it going to be the singer that stays up? And then you have the slider that turned into a called strike offering for him, 21% called strike rate, but does not get whiffs. There are moments, oh boy, were there moments, Eric, where this pitch turned into that 22% swing strike rate pitch of 2021 that I still long for. I, I am the Wolverine meme looking at the framed photo of Logan Webb, it happens to be a gift because I got special photos uh, of him striking out a guy with a slider right out of the zone. But yeah, 22% swing strike rate in 21 and 2023, yeah, 10% for Logan Webb slider. So he had those games of it, then it went away. He had some different movement on it. He changed some grips and stuff. Hasn't quite found, I don't think, that that old slider still, which means to me that it's just change up sinker for the most part with that slider kind of lagging behind, only 57% strike rate. And if I saw that that was a 65% plus, I might believe more in that walk rate sticking around. 
But considering it's really two pitches driving that high strike rate, and he doesn't throw the slider one behind, which makes sense. Um, only 5% of, of his sliders were in behind counts, which would, of course, be three ball counts really included there. Um, so the whole package, to me, is someone that should not have a 107 whip. Should not really have a 23% K rate, honestly. Because that K rate was a product of these random games out of nowhere where he had four double-digit strikeout games. Uh, the first game of the year was 12. And I actually think he had one, one eight strikeout game otherwise. Right? It was There was no nines and there was one eight. It was seven and below or four of them that were 10 or higher. Which I think kind of showcases like those were random weird moments. And as far as the strikeout rate goes, yeah, he's not going to be a 25% plus guy. So if you're saying, look, I think Logan Webb's going to go 216 innings again. I think that the hit per nine is going to be at 8.4 or better. And I think the walk rate is going to be under 4% again. Then go ahead. You know, otherwise, I think we're going to see something fall down here. And uh, it's still going to be good. Don't get me wrong. That's why he's here. But he's not going to be uh, that SP1. I don't think Logan Webb is that kind of guy to go after. And I would rather, in a year where I think there are going to be so many guys that break out, uh, I, I, I can't emphasize this enough. I know it's kind of weird when we're drafting. There are so many talented pitchers now um, that all have this unbelievable ceiling that I, I'm looking at 2024 and saying, I need to make sure I have at least one on my team. And going for Logan Webb is not one of those. It is a stable pick. Mm-hmm. But someone else is going to pick in that same round, likely a guy that is carrying higher upside and achieving it. So it's tough for me to rank Logan Webb. And so I have him here, 25. Yeah, I hear you. It is a stable pick. And I think that if you take Logan Webb early, it gives you the ability to load up on those upside strikeout guys in the Mm -hmm. mid rounds because... sure. My only pushback on on Logan Webb is even if there's a regression um, on the walk rate, I think we're going to get back to around 6% or a little under what he had before. I still think that's, you know, at worst, a 1-1 whip. Um, I think you have really good ratio stability here. And so I'm not saying that he's an ace. I'm saying that I think this is a guy who's going to get good ratio stability. He's on an organization that has always prioritized infield defense. Over the last three years, the the Giants are one of the best infield defenses and outs above average. They are the fourth best infield defense and outs above average over the last uh, three years. Um, They are fourth in runs prevented in infield defense over the last three years. So I, I think they're... They're not going to all of a sudden, you know, put a Phillies defense behind him. Um, and I think that there were some changes he made to the slider this year, which made it worse. Um, and it got barreled way more, missed more, missed fewer bats, um, had a way worse defense independent ERA. So I wonder if he, you know, he, he threw it harder and with more horizontal movement, which didn't work for him. Um, I'd be curious if he goes back to something that's a little closer to what he did in in 2022. And so I I think that he's just a kind of stable and unsexy pick for your ratios um, who will accumulate strikeouts. You know, he had 194 this year. If he gets 175, 180-ish, it again, you're you're drafting him with the idea that you're taking strikeout gambles later on and using his ratio stability to balance out the rest of your rotation. 
I don't think you have him ranked like egregiously low. I'm not saying like I have him SP 11 or anything um, like I thought I might looking at his his stats at the beginning. But I do think that he's an overlooked solid fantasy starting pitcher. Sure. Yeah. Um, until your point about the Giants defense, uh, Tyro Estrada is insanely good at second base. 19 outs of, of average this year. They do lose Brandon Crawford, who had a six. Sure. Um, J.D. Davis was a, a positive six at third, but then you have minus two of Flores. You have minus three of Casey Schmidt and minus three of Lamonte Wade Jr. I'm curious how that infield will play out in uh, 2024, but a really good point about that. Even still, it was an 8.4 hit per nine this past year for Webb. So that still is a little weird to me in that regard. Um, but we're going to move past Webb here uh, and we're going to go into number 26 as Logan Gilbert. Before we do, we're going to take a quick break. So Logan Gilbert, I- I'm curious if this is too high or too low, according to you. Uh, he's my SP 21. I was going to say they had to be Logan Gilbert. And I'm, the, shocked. I'm you, shocked he is. Right. So this is the weirdness about Logan Gilbert to me. We entered this year being like, he has a good four-seamer, we think. That should be better if he has the compliments for it. And where is that pitch going to be? Is it going to be the splitter, slider, curveball? He had the splitter early on. It was great. We were like, oh, man, I underrated how much Logan Gilbert's good now because it's four-seamer splitter. Both of them disappeared. Both. Just like, whoops, okay, bye-bye. We fell down the trap door in front of the witch's house. We pressed the doorbell and fell down the chute. So now the slider had to show up, and it did. The slider was actually really good. We got to a point that Logan Gilbert was throwing 50% sliders, I think, in a game. And that is just absurd to think about when it was Logan Gilbert throwing like 60% four-seamers and please finding some sort of uh, lifesaver in his secondaries. And now all of a sudden he has it. It's a slider. But the fastball's been so bad. He cannot get that thing up again. He cannot locate it. So I, I go back and forth here. What Logan Gilbert has shown me, to me over the years is just overall arsenal inconsistency. Mm-hmm. And it's not that you know we couldn't look at it as a Punnett square of, okay, if he has his fastball and a slider, dominance. But also, we've seen times where he doesn't have either, or he has just one or the other. And the assumption that he's going to have both of those, and maybe something else, I th- I thought was too far of a leap. At the same time, despite all of these things, 108 whip, 25% K rate, 190 innings, winning ball club, 373 ERA. So that is positive, um, I ranked Webb above him, above Framber above him, because I felt like I know what I'm getting. I don't know what I'm getting with Gilbert, who has a 26% O swing on his four-seamer this year, just a 9% swing strike rate. This Wait, hold on a second. You were supposed to have a really good one. 13% swing strike rate last year. We thought this was it. This was the thing. You just need something else to supplement it. So I don't know if we're going to see it. I like to believe that Gilbert will improve. Uh, he generally has been someone that works hard and, and tweaks and everything, but I, I'm I'm still kind of twiddling my thumb my thumbs and waiting. I like him more than the other youngins that we're going to talk mm-hmm. about, but I felt that the others in tier three were just more uh, clear of a path to them actually being their best selves. Yeah, I I totally agree with you. I, I didn't expect to have him this high. I might not later. It feels a little yucky and gross. Um, the only thing I'll add to what you said is even when those pitches, the slider or sorry, the, the even when the splitter failed him in the second half of the season, it had a 20.4% swing strike rate in the second half. So there's like you can see, OK, something about this pitch is still working. He didn't have it all mm-hmm. year, all year long, but there's still something there. 
The slider really worked in the second half of the year for him. So you're just kind of, as you mentioned, there are still pieces there even amidst the the struggles. And so I'm I'm perhaps taking a leap of, a leap of faith that we don't necessarily see him as an ace, but we see those things come together with a little more consistency, which makes him a solid uh, starting pitcher to go after. Yeah, I um, hope so. I mean, she should be more than a 25% strikeout guy. It's just... It's really the four seamer to me is like, come on, please, yeah. please be the pitch you're supposed to be. But I have, I have him. Like I, I think we know a little bit more about him than the leap of faith you're taking. I'm not saying you're wrong to rank this guy SP27, but obviously it's way more of a leap of faith with way less information uh, for your mm. SP27. So yes, okay. So it's uh, Ushinibo uh, Yamamoto. In some ways, I actually wanted to put him above Gilbert. Uh, and above Valdez, and I might make it so that's Logan Webb, uh, Yamamoto, and then Framber Valdez. And why is that, Nick? Like, look, this is a, he's coming from Japan. He's going to sign a massive, massive contract. And everything we've kind of seen of what his skill set is speaks to having fantastic command. Uh, a, a sub to walk per nine in, in Japan, also with legitimate strikeout potential. One of the bigger pushbacks I had about Senga is that I didn't trust that I uh, that he would keep down the walks that the the whip would still be high and it seems to me that everything that Yamamoto showcases is your standard like your Hunjin Ryu coming over saying look I have good command I can put things where I want them to I don't know if I'm going to push guys put guys away no he can he has a 90 mile per hour cutter that is filthy mm-hmm. um he has a it, I've heard that his curveball at times is his best pitch his fastballs in the mid 90s he has a forkball to get whiffs as well and he has stellar command to avoid the walks. Like that to me is a surprisingly good floor um, for a guy that we don't know a ton about. Uh, and I, I, it actually really surprised me when I initially did these ranks. I had three straight, uh, uh, the three major uh, signings that we expect from Japan kind of all next to each other in the 50s. But like, whatever, I don't really know what these guys are yet. I dove in and did all my research on each guy. And then Yamamoto, I'm like, oh, yeah, no, Yamamoto clearly has the full skill set. Like with other ones inside of this tier and, uh, you know, all the way to 39, it's OK. They need to fix themselves. They need to change. Yamamoto to me seems like he's a finished product. It's just about adaptation to to the majors that might have some of that risk. Mm-hmm. Everything I'm trusting uh, the, the sources that I have from fan graphs, um, from uh, baseball prospectus. Uh, and I'm hoping that they they have this right. I mean, I even looked up just the raw numbers. I was like, yeah, this is really good. <laughs> I watched the video on my own, you know, um, and that's really what I spend most of the time doing. It's kind of hard to get it, but like I need to actually see. Right. When they say it's a good 90 mile per hour cut, I'm like, okay, I need to actually, oh no, yeah, yeah, that's really good. So to me, this just feels like this is the right kind of guy that you want to be going for. Yeah, I think the more that you and I both dig in, I could see him rising up rankings um based on just raw ability i think there that that transition is always something to think about um it is not only a transition on the field obviously but off the field um which can impact some guys um and a transition with a new baseball as well um and so those are those are some things to think about in terms of how quickly we see the level that we know he can get to sure and innings is always a weird question because of course the quicker turnaround in rotations or is he going to go to a team that goes with a six man Mm -hmm. is he going to be a little more fatigued or skipped every so often so you know expecting more than 180 or something along lines of like Webb and and Valdez likely not the case right so 150 to 170 seems more like the ideal here 
Uh, so there is that element to weigh in as well. Yeah. Um, pour one out for your SP28, <laughs> uh, which was Brandon Woodruff. Obviously, this came Damn. out um, after the news that he was going to miss the playoff start before the news that he's another guy who will miss the entire 2024 season. Yep. Um, so we'll end. I'm going to lump your your 29 and 30 together uh, just because mm. they are two young pitchers with with lots of upside. So tell me why you like both Shane Baz and, and Brian Wu and why you like Shane Baz just a little bit more. Well, Shane Boz has the best Twitter handle. It's like the the, uh, the Wizard of Boz. So yeah. it makes it easy for me to remember that one. True. Uh, and uh, it, it, by the way, Eric, it is so strange to be the one that's like, it, it's pronounced this way. I know. This I has know. been for 10 years. And, and again, <laughs> my whole stick has been the one that fails. So. And again, I think it's like me being a teacher in an international school. It's like I'm so focused on the international names and the names that are just like, I'm like, oh, it's Ra- it's it's Reagan's. It's like, it's Yeah. Whatever, it's ragged. It is it's not. It's I know. no, no. Ragged. It's Reagan. You got it right. You know. It's a Reaganomics. It's there you go. There's the one for you to remember. Yeah, I got it. Um, but uh, I only know because of uh, the Wizard of Boz. So, um, by the way, with Woodruff, it also is very kind because we have a quicker podcast here, and we're gonna have a quicker one for your mock draft because you took him in the tenth round. And I you did. Didn't know. Yes, and, yes, it did. Yeah, uh, but that's why it's a mock. Okay, um, Shane Boz. Honestly, I mean, we look at these young guys. We say, okay, what is their best skill, and what is the thing they need to fix, right? And uh, we know that Brian Wu, for example, we know he has a phenomenal four-seamer. Um, VA is good. Uh, induced vertical break is good. And he also has a sinker that pairs well that he tries to go jamming right-handers with at times. We've also seen that cutter or slider, whichever one he has on a given night. Really, it's the cutter, honestly, not the slider. Become a really good, well-commanded pitch down in glove side at times. And I want to believe that with more experience that uh, Brian Wu will get there. However, Shane Boz already has the two things. His four-seamer and slider PLV marks were phenomenal in 2021 and 22. Um, yeah, his stuff is insane. It, it, it's really remarkable to me. He's really good at commanding both his four-seamer and his slider. And yeah, he also has this curveball that he throws with strikes effortlessly. Um, I don't really want to judge. Uh, it's really hard to judge him for what 40 something innings that we've seen you 40 and change. Mm -hmm. And that's where it's like, Nick, these marks that you have, like, that's not quite true. No, no, no. The the stuff plus is going to tell you, Hey, I don't need the sample size of command plus, right. Or of location plus. Right. I, we all know the slider and the four seamer. Great. I'm a believer of generally. Yeah. Command is pretty easy to pick up on quickly. Um, on the actual like uh, blueprint of command, you can say, like, cool, one start he does this, and then one start is another, and it's hard to feel like which one is the real one. When you see a guy like Boz, who has very good com- mechanics going forward, and pretty much clear intent every time, and when he misses, he doesn't miss by you know, as a wild arm. To me, yeah, he's he's good at this, and can make it so that his slider isn't all over the place, and can keep his forcing upstairs. In short, the only reason why he's not being regarded highly is because it's coming off of Tommy John. Well, guess what? It's a Tommy John honeymoon. Honeymoon. This is what mm-hmm. we see. And all expectations is that Shane Boz should be back in the rotation uh, right out of the gate, especially with the, uh, the the dearth of options for Tampa Bay at the moment. So, yeah, you can say absolutely he's going to be maybe uh, slowed down in the beginning. But if you want to say it's 120 innings or so, I don't buy that for a second. What we generally see is 150 when guys come back from Tommy John. And I'm all for that. 
150 innings from Shane Boz at a level that I think is going to be elite. I'm just very much in for. Yeah, I, I think that's an interesting thing to consider. I will even admit that like when starting up the rankings, he wasn't somebody who immediately jumped into my head because obviously there's so much time off. And not only there's so much time off, but like unlike Musgrove, we don't have like an MLB track record to fall back on. So a guy like Musgrove mm-hmm. remains in our head because I know I'm I'm going after Musgrove. I've been doing it in the past. Um I will say I I you know, we talked about this on one of the podcasts we did when we were going through the final schedule. Um, I appreciate some of the changes that Brian Wu was making at the end of the year. Yeah. Um, he was trading in a little bit of, of swinging strike rate upside for just reducing some of the splits that he had, the split issues that he had when he first came up. And so I think this is a young pitcher who's, who's learning and growing in an organization that seems to develop pitching well, or at least an organization where pitchers are, clearly trying and and trying to manipulate their arsenal and trying to kind of like work on on things um interestingly like he was messing with his slider was it a was it becoming a cutter uh was he just reducing the slider usage and upping the cutter usage i mean those are some things that that you know were helping him with with the splits against lefties um and then he was throwing the sinker more often, but not only, or sorry, throwing the, the fastball less often, the four seam, and throwing the sinker a little bit softer and adding some more um, movement to it, which I think was, you know, improving the sinker to an extent where he didn't give up a single barrel on it in July and August. So we're tweaking the arsenal a little bit. We've seen the immense strikeout upside, and now we're tweaking the arsenal to give us a little bit less of the uh, contact issues against lefties. Um, I have him 31. Um, so I love this. It, yeah, I have him buzz? And, and I have him pretty high. I will say I need to go back and, and add and, and update Boz. I, I just slotted Boz in 33 as we were talking because oh, okay. I kind of had him like outside of my top 40 because it, I mm-hmm. just need to go back and, and re-familiarize myself with everything that he does. If we're being honest, because, sure. um, he was been out of my he, brain this year. It, it's a, it's a fast one slider. And like everyone has, I like guys with the good four seamers and where they're searching for the number two Boz already has it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why he's here. Brian Wu. I found myself favoring a lot of over a lot of other interesting guys that are similar to him. And we're going to talk about those in the next podcast. Um, especially at 31, for example, those two guys, I mean, Bryce Miller and Brian Wu are going to be tied to the hip essentially. Yes. I, I'm kind of like the same way that Gilbert exists. Right. right. And, uh, I, so, I have them and, flipped from you. I have Bryce Miller. Yeah. One so that's ahead. a very fun conversation. We're going to say that for the next one. Of course. Um, but yeah, Brian Wu to me, I think the four seamer is ultimately a little bit better. And also I think he has more pitch ability um, with the sinker being a major thing. His inside location is 80th percentile, which is how he's using it correctly against right handers inside. Uh, and I love that. I think that's going to get better. And then you throw in the cutter being, I think, a little bit better than Bryce Miller's believability moving forward. Um, while Wu had a, what was it? I, I 95th percentile swing strike rate on his four seamer mm-hmm. and a, a high location of, uh, only 51% surprisingly, actually, I think you can even get better on that one. So yeah, I'm, I'm a fan of Wu. Yeah. That rotation is going to be really fun to watch all of Oh my gosh. Still, Robbie Ray comes back. Oh, yeah. Man. Um, there are two names that I have ranked inside of my top 30, which we will discuss next week because Nick has them in his next section. Uh, so hang with us. Uh, we're going to get through starting pitchers 31 to 40 on the next episode 
Um, I am Eric Samolski, the Pelican. I'm Nick Pollock, the Lion. And we will fly away and see you next week. <laughs>